You're listening to audio from Crossroads Community Church, located in Fogelsville, Pennsylvania. If you want to learn more about C3 and what it is about, you can visit us at c3lehigh.com. And now, for today's sermon. So this morning, we're talking about kicking off our our new series about making disciples. Everybody say, making disciples. This is one of those terms where in a church context, it's kind of like this, it's kind of like this, this term that we throw around, but I have to ask the question, do we fully understand what we mean when we say disciples? It's almost like one of those buzzwords where it sounds really good to say. It sounds like, well, I'm a disciple of Christ. And it sounds really fun to say, and it sounds, but do we truly understand the weight that comes with this statement, I am a disciple? Are you with me this morning, church? Come on. Y'all look very sad. Smile. Okay, there we go. Making disciples. What does it mean to be a disciple? And the reality is this. When we talk about missions, when we talk about reaching the world, we have to talk about being disciples. Thank you for the one person who's getting this this morning. Thank you. What is a disciple? A disciple is a follower of Christ, somebody that submits to his word, his teaching, and seeks to apply and live out God's word in life, and therefore is also simultaneously maturing in their relationship with God and being his hands and feet. A disciple is somebody that is pursuing God's plan for their life rather than their own. Luke chapter 14, verses 26 through 29 is where we're going to spend a majority of our time this morning. That's Luke chapter 14, verse 26 through 29. And I want to say and preface this service this morning that this is kind of a heavier topic today. When we talk about discipleship, again, it's one of those things that I believe the church, we've taken so lightheartedly, where it's kind of like our view of disciple is that you have, we have said this prayer that gets us into heaven, and that's good enough. There's no biblical scripture that we can turn to where that is a biblical definition of a disciple. In scripture, we see that disciple and lifestyle go hand in hand. Can I hear an amen this morning? What we have gotten in the habit of doing as a church is we make converts rather than followers. And it's kind of like winning the lottery. It's kind of like we give this message. It's like, hey, who wants to get to heaven? And there's hands that go up and it's like, yes, I'm getting into heaven. And that's where our relationship with Jesus starts and ends most of the time. God has so much more. Come on, somebody. God has so much more. Luke chapter 14, verse 26 through 29 says this. And this is Jesus speaking, by the way. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and comes after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish, all who see it will mock him. 
Jesus is using incredibly strong language in this. This is one of those scriptures where it requires us to go, oh, that's what you meant. I also have to say that Jesus didn't understand marketing. If Jesus understood marketing, it would be like, hey, come follow me. It's going to be awesome. You're going to live a blessed life. Your next miracle is on the horizon. Just follow me and you'll have access to a better version of you tomorrow. But then Jesus says, you want to follow me? Hate your family. That's horrible marketing. So what did he mean with these statements? And this kind of teaching we're afraid of in the church because it's going to cost us something. And there's a story where in John chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching such a difficult message that people begin to leave him. And he looks at his disciples and he kind of asks them, are you going to leave me too? We're talking about kingdom principles. We're talking about what it takes to follow me. And obviously, there are others who are being turned off by this teaching. Are you going to leave me too? Jesus gives us hard lessons. And I'm, and I just, I, I, I'm trying not to go down a bunny trail right now. But we have so manipulated the character of Jesus into painting a weak pacifist. And that's not Jesus. And thank God. We hear the word hate, and I want to say this. An accurate way of translating this term is to love less. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you have to love me more than your own father, mother, wife, children, brother, sisters. You have to love me more than you do these other relationships. And can I tell you how beautiful this is for a second? Because pause, our relationships function best when Jesus is above them. And there's this beautiful balance here where Jesus is like, you need to love me more than you love these other relationships. And it works out beautifully because often when we put Jesus in the number one seat in our marriage, our marriages are better. When we allow Jesus to tell us how to develop our kids, they turn out better. When Jesus is the center of a family unit, he's more important than your siblings. Some of you, that's a little too easy. You're like, done. <laughs> We're not going to address that today. But when Jesus is the center of these relationships, health often is grown in that relationship because he's above them. If anyone comes to me, I must be your first love is Jesus' point. And at the same time, there are moments where within these relationships, we are put into positions where we either have to choose this relationship's way of doing life and conducting themselves, or we choose God's way. 
And these are difficult positions to be in. And those of you who have had prodigal sons and daughters know. Here's what it looks like to choose Jesus above other relationships. When I was a youth pastor, we often had a, um, a bus ministry that went into some of the very rough um, ghetto areas in the Pittsburgh area. And we would bust them in and these students, the lifestyles and home lives that they came from, you could not imagine. You could not imagine. And often... Students understood this concept of Jesus first above other relationships because they had to live it. And when they returned to their home lives as a Christian, they were rejected. They were looked down upon. And in other countries, since we're on the topic of missions this month, other countries understand this concept very intimately. Because in some other countries, whenever somebody decides to follow Jesus, their family looks at them as if they are dead. They're rejected by their family. And some, when you profess to be a Christian, their family will often take their life. Because the family sees that as the ultimate disgrace to become a Christ follower. And Jesus is teaching in this moment, he says, listen, if you want to be my follower, if you want to listen to me, if you want to be a disciple of me, it's going to cost you. In other relationships we see, and in, in especially in our day and age here in America, there is story after story after story of parents who have been put in a disposition where a child, a son or daughter, comes to them and demands acceptance of a sinful lifestyle. It says, you either accept me and my sinful lifestyle, or you reject me. And parents are put in this position where they have to choose, Jesus is the most important person in my life, or this other relationship, even with our own children, has taken precedence. And Jesus says, it's in those moments where you have to choose me. When we follow Jesus, we have to expect it to come at a cost. A reality that we must acknowledge of followers of Jesus and a reality that we must include in presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ is this fact, being a disciple comes at a cost. It is a message that we have not included in the gospel, but it is necessary. Luke chapter 14, verse 28, for which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation, is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him. We have neglected a few details in our gospel message. And that's the reality that following Jesus comes at a cost. And that's a reality that we're not too familiar with in America. And I, I want to say this, that Jesus stating these principles, for some of us this morning, maybe you grew up in a household that really wasn't like, they didn't really, parents didn't define lines, and this might come across a little harsh, Jesus saying this, you must love me first, but can I tell you that this is the heart of a father who loves his children? Because hear me, church, 
There is nothing more damaging than somebody dedicating their lives to a false gospel and finding out years later that what they believed in was a lie. And in this moment, Jesus loves us enough to give us the truth. Jesus, I'm so thankful that he didn't say, come follow me, you'll experience a life of ease and blessing because that's not the gospel. And he knew that there would be followers who are like, hey, I'm following Jesus. That means that everything in my life is going to go smooth. Praise God. There's going to be no conflict, like I'm going to reap blessings every day, it's going to be awesome. And Jesus loved us enough to make sure that we didn't lead a life with that misunderstanding eventually to arrive at a point of disappointment. When we believe in messages like that, it's only a matter of time until it comes crashing down. When Christians believe that following Jesus is going to be easy, it doesn't take long for that to be revealed that that was a lie. But Jesus loves us enough to say, my son, my daughter, this is what it means to follow me. That's a father's heart. It's not harsh. It's a reality that Jesus loved us enough to explain. Is there anybody out there this morning? Y'all are awful quiet. Thanks, Jack. And here's the reality is God is making it evident and apparent that God's way conflicts with our way. God's way conflicts with our way. But I want to be clear this morning, it's not all doom and gloom. His way is better. Can I hear an amen? His way is better. It's not easier. His way is higher, which requires us to get rid of low living in order to arrive at the higher. In other countries, they understand this biblical message that following Jesus may cost, your, cost you your life, but he is worth following. Amen. Discipleship, reaching, teaching, and raising up others has almost come to a complete stop in our nation. Messages about discipleship and teaching people about the cost of following Jesus, it's not talked about. And I have to ask the question, has discipleship stopped because we as the church are not willing to pay the price? Has discipleship stopped in the church because we're not willing to acknowledge the elephant in the room that if I'm going to follow Jesus, it's going to cost me the way that I live my life. It's going to cost me to lay down desires that shouldn't have been there in the first place, but desires nevertheless. When things get difficult in the Christian community, we often think that it's of Satan. God, this couldn't be you. You're more concerned about my happiness rather than anything else. But when things get difficult, we in the church often look at that as a demonic influence rather than God growing character in us. Count the cost. And I want to include this, the cost of not following Jesus is more significant. Three of you believe that. Amen. The cost of not following Jesus is more significant. It's why he said, my burden is lighter than this one you're carrying. 
I also want to say this, that true joy and satisfaction cannot be found outside of serving Him. I'm talking about something deep within your heart that goes beyond just a good day. I'm talking about something in your soul, in your heart, desire itself within you, being satisfied. Something that says, this is why I exist, this is where my identity is found. Something so profound that it has the power to change who you are. I'm talking about that part of you being satisfied. And this satisfaction is so powerful, hear me church, that it makes suffering worthwhile. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more is I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain in Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ and the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Paul, a man who's been beaten, who has suffered a physical persecution, emotional persecution. We see him struggle spiritually sometimes where he says, I wish that I could do the right thing, but I often fall into doing the wrong thing. How many of us can relate to that this morning? And throughout Paul's life, he goes through these persecution moments, beaten with rods, beaten with whips. And for those of us who follow sports, you know the physical toll that is, that is on, uh, for example, professional football players, right? Like their bodies at the end of their career are mangled. I can only imagine the physical toll that Paul went through. Where during his age, it makes you wonder, did he walk with a limp? Did he walk with some, some part of his body not being fully mobile because of the beatings that he took? What kind of physical toll was placed upon his body that he would say things like, there's a thorn in my flesh. And I know there's different interpretations of that, but the point is this, that Paul knew suffering. And yet this guy says it was worth it. Paul tells us, he says, I found a longing that is satisfied. This emptiness in my soul has been filled by having a relationship with Jesus. This man who had power, money, and influence. You see, Paul was the head persecutor of the church at one time, which meant that he held a very high position alongside of governing authority. He had influence. We can assume that out of that position flowed wealth, and Paul makes these statements, all of that wealth, all of that influence, that life of luxury that I used to live is garbage compared to the relationship that I have with Jesus. There's no room for debate here in the language that Paul uses. He looks and he says those worldly gains, they don't compare to what it's like to go around the world planting churches. 
Paul says they don't compare to what it's like to go around and raise up missionaries. It doesn't compare to what it's like to be a church planter and to raise up a new body of believers and to reach those who once were lost, but now they're found. He says, all of these things that I had in life, the wealth, the fame, the influence, it doesn't compare to what it's like to serve Jesus. says those gains don't compare to what it's like to disciple others. Our souls find joy and satisfaction in serving Jesus, not in our circumstances. Some of us believe that when we go through a really good season, and thank God for those seasons, but there's still something inside of us when we go through a good season that longs to be satisfied. And Paul says, I found it. And it's greater and more compelling than my difficult circumstances and my good ones. What is a disciple? It's a Christ follower that counts the cost and chooses to submit and follow Jesus. And lastly, and of equal importance... A disciple makes other disciples. Jesus didn't say, go into the world and make converts. Can somebody give me an amen this morning? Come on. He said, go into the world and make disciples. Those that would count the cost. Those that understand following me is difficult, but it's worth it. Those that would understand that I could go through beatings for my faith, but because of what I have in Jesus, that he's present in my time of suffering, it's worth it. And somewhere along the line, we've gotten into this really bad theology where somebody could say a a, a prayer that really doesn't mean a whole lot on a Sunday continue to live in sin and not follow Jesus and openly and publicly reject Jesus and not yield to his authority or the authority of scripture, and we would still call them Christians. And I'm not trying to be judgmental this morning. I'm not trying to come down hard on the church, but my point is this, is that we need to fix a broken system. Because the biblical definition of a disciple or a Christian, a Christ follower, is somebody that has submitted their lives to him and therefore is willing to come under the authority of Scripture and live differently as a result. I'm passionate about this topic this morning because as a youth pastor, I've seen the damage that has been done to students who never learn that following Jesus comes at a cost. And the second that they hit trials, the first thing they got rid of was Jesus. Because they were taught that Jesus gives you nothing but blessings and an eased life. And when they found that message to be false, they rejected faith altogether. Right now in our country, people have dealt with the difficulties that COVID has presented, and they are leaving Jesus because they were taught a false gospel. I 
A disciple makes other disciples. Conversion is when somebody gives their heart to Christ. Discipleship is the remaking of that heart. I want to say that again. Conversion is when somebody gives their heart to Christ. Discipleship is the remaking of that heart. Discipleship is about the entanglement of our lives together, not just the transfer of spiritual knowledge. Paul was discipling a young man named Titus. And Paul put it like this in Titus chapter 1, verse 4. Worship team, you can come. To Titus, my genuine son in a common faith. Grace and peace from God the Father and Christ our Savior. Paul was so involved in Titus' life, he was so entangled in Titus' life that he actually calls him son. Paul had such a deep concern for Titus and a love for him and a genuine care for him that he addresses him as son. Men in the room, how many young men are you discipling right now that you consider them a son or a daughter? How many women are you discipling that you consider them a daughter? How many men are you discipling that you consider them a son? And if you're coming up blank this morning, then church, there's a, there's, the system is broken. If we can't think of others that we're discipling or that we call a son or daughter in Christ, the system is broken and we're not fulfilling what we're called to do. Discipleship means closeness, doing life together, getting to truly know a person. They are not just a spiritual number that we chalk up on our, well, we got another convert today and move on. We're talking about literally knowing the struggles and pains of another human, another God-created person, and being so entangled in their life that we're willing to walk through the storms with them. If you're a Christian, a disciple, a follower of Christ, you are called to make disciples. It is one of the primary purposes that God has placed on your life. I'll never forget the first time that I truly encountered the beauty of discipleship. And it wasn't until I was a youth pastor, and I wish I had done it sooner. Years ago, I went on a missions trip to Colombia, and in Colombia, the evenings are just gorgeous. There's a constant breeze, and it's about 60 degrees in the evenings. As a ginger, that is my climate. Just saying. We're sitting on the back patio, me and the church group that went, and we're gathered around this table in in there's something blessed about this meal because steak was served. I'm just being honest. And we're sitting on this back patio that overlooks this city in Colombia. And we all, we all paid the price to be there. It, it cost us time with our families. It cost us a very significant financial obligation. There was a cost that was involved and there's something about paying the cost that brings camaraderie. 
Like we've all paid the price to be here to some extent. And we're gathered around this dinner table and we have that in common, that there was sacrifice involved and we're sharing stories of like what God did that day. And there was about, you know, 15 to 20 of us and there's just genuine laughter happening at some of the situations that happened that day. Um, the, the Colombians, they, they knew that my first name was Donald, so they referred to me as our formal, former president, and they thought that was hilarious. I didn't get it. And the group, and so I had these kids running around all week calling me him. And these kids would just laugh because I'd get all offended, and then we'd chase each other, and it was just awesome. And we start sharing these stories of like what God is doing in this other country. And in that moment, I understood the beauty of discipleship. That like we're doing life together, but we're serving Jesus together. We're giving food to those who wouldn't have eaten otherwise. We're providing drinks to those who are thirsty. We're presenting the gospel message and then taking these individuals and trying to connect them with the church and not just make converts, but, but truly discipleship people. And then there's something beautiful about loving another person, even though you don't speak the same language. And you learn in that moment that like when you carry Christ's love where, anywhere you go, your job place, your home life, that there's something so profound that others who don't even speak your language can recognize it and they have that in common with you. And there was something beautiful about getting together with a church in another country that doesn't speak the same language, but they treat you as a brother or sister because you have Christ in common. And in this moment, as we're sitting on this back porch in Columbia, reflecting on all that God was doing and all of the ministry that was happening, I remember the whole Holy Spirit just speaking to my heart and saying, this is what it means to be a church. This is what it means to be a church. To not just show up on Sundays and Wednesdays, but to do life together. Men getting together and becoming godly men. Women coming together and being godly biblical women doing life together in an entangled way, so much so that like Paul, we would look at somebody that we're discipling and say, they're like my son or my daughter. Is this making sense this morning, church? Can I tell you, I feel like right now you're either feeling two things, one, offense, or two, a compelling. And can I just challenge you to lean into that motivational side of your heart that says, I've got to do more. Today, this was kind of a coaching service. When I played hockey and I had somebody who coached me in hockey, I would have been offended if we would have showed up and coach said, you're all doing great, just keep doing it, and then we lost the game. But there were these moments where the coach said, you guys are awful. I'm not saying that this morning. You guys are great. I feel like I have the best church in the world. I'm just saying. But the point is, is that a coach's job is to show up and say, hey, we got to get down the business. These are the areas that we're working on, and it's motivational and inspirational. And I hope that that's what this has been this morning, that church, it's time to disciple and reach a lost world. It's time to get back to a biblical definition of what it likes to be a follower of Jesus, where you're so close to Jesus that no matter what comes your way, you still find beauty in serving him and knowing him. Would you stand up with me this morning? 
imagine with me for just a moment. What would church look like? What would a church look like if it was willing to entangle lives together? What would church look like if we were willing to come alongside of one another? Literally do life together through our struggles, through the good times, the bad times, the frustrating times, the times where you look at the world and you're like, what is happening? What would it look like? And I want you to make it personal now. We talked about the church. Who in your life needs discipling? And in what areas in your life do you need discipling? Make it personal for a minute. In what areas do you need a spiritual father or mother to come alongside of you and say, hey, let's work through this together. Let's process this together. What areas in your life do you say, Lord, I need discipleship in this area? And flip it around. Not just being consumers, but being producers. Who can you disciple in your life? You might be here today and you're like, Pastor, I don't have it all together. I can't be a disciple. Welcome to the club. The reason why we get along so well in church is because we recognize that we're all messed up. Can I hear a good amen this morning? The perfectionists out there are like, amen. Dr. W.E. Sangster said it this way, how shall I feel at judgment if multitudes of missed opportunities pass before me in full review and all of my excuses prove to be a disguise of my cowardice pride? We're called to make disciples. If you know Jesus, the expectation is that you will not only tell others about Jesus, but lead them into a lifestyle that exemplifies following him. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, would you continue to cut off the areas in our life that are not bearing fruit? We recognize, Lord, you're not primarily concerned about our happiness, you're concerned with our fruitfulness. So help us, Lord, to be fruitful. Would you get rid of the branches in our lives that we've kept, that they keep us comfortable, but they produce nothing. That we would, we would call them worldly gains, kind of like Paul did. They're nice to have, but compared to you, they're nothing. Help us as the church to not only come under mentorship and discipleship of more mature believers, but help us to also, in return, disciple others, to bring along others who may be weaker in Christ into maturity or those who don't even know Jesus. Lord, help us to be effective. And Lord, I just pray that we would be a church not of consumers, but a church of producers. A church that goes into the world and doesn't seek to just make converts, but seeks to make followers who have counted the cost and say, I'm willing to pay the cost because what I have in Jesus, it doesn't compare. It can't compare. It can't compete with anything else. Lord, as we go about the rest of this week until we meet again next week, 
I pray that we would have open hearts and open minds. Lord, your word says that your words are like a sword. And I believe we've experienced that a little bit today. Now may it not be done in vain with an unteachable heart, but may our hearts be teachable, moldable, we ask. In Jesus' precious and holy name, have your way, we ask. And everybody said, and everybody shouted. Oh, come on, everybody shouted. Amen. Hey, God bless you as you go with the Lord. He's going with you. We'll see you Wednesday, if not Wednesday. We'll see you next week as we continue this series and we welcome our missionary guests from Northern Ireland. It's going to be a Sunday that you don't want to miss. And I also want to say this, reiterate this message. Last week I shared, over the next couple weeks, we're going to be having about four to five different missionaries coming in, sharing their stories, sharing how we can support them. I want to challenge you, be here in person. Everybody say, in person. Some of these missionaries are doing um, ministry in countries that I can't list right now. So we have to protect their identity and what they're doing. So we're not going to be able to live stream it. I repeat, we are not going to be able to live stream it. So if you want to hear what they're doing, want to hear what God's doing in other third world countries, and I'm telling you, it's going to be an awesome experience. Be here. You'll walk away blessed. God bless you as a go, Lord. Amen. Amen. God bless you, church. This has been an audio recording from Crossroads Community Church. If you'd like to get in contact with us or learn more about us, you can follow us on social media at C3Lehigh or email us at info at C3Lehigh.com. We'd love to hear from you.